Open up to Matthew chapter 2 in your Bibles. Uh, We are going to look at really the the journey of the wise men. I realize that this is a a very familiar story. Uh, In fact, we go over this to some degree uh, every year. And uh, this morning as we come to this place in the book of Matthew, I trust that uh, we'll be encouraged to seek him as king. A couple of things before we begin. There's a few people that I want to go over. First of all, there's the magi or the wise men. And sometimes it's hard for us to get a picture. We don't have a whole lot of data on what they were or how many there were or uh, why they came. But we know a few things about them. First of all, the the term could be one for philosopher or astrologer or even magician, if you will. And they came from uh, not the land of God's people, but they came uh, from afar. They, they, They had traveled. They had left their country to come. And so as we look at this, we realize that they were outsiders. They were foreigners. One's making a journey. Now, I realize in our culture, too, that uh, many of us have traveled outside the country. How many of you have traveled outside the country? Yeah, you've traveled. Uh, some of you have traveled a lot outside the country. You've, you have you have a passport, and it looks pretty cool because you have all these different stamps. And uh, one of the girls, before she was leaving, she had her passport out, and she assured me that she had actually traveled to more. But in Europe, they don't stamp it like they used to. And um, it was kind of discouraging when she realized that she was going to have to get a new one pretty quick. And even the stamps she did have were going to be gone. But but. Travel is something that we do all the time, and yet it wasn't as common in the times of where Christ was born. And so that definitely would have made them unusual. You think, too, on how their visit was going to bring. They came as philosophers, as thinkers, as and they came seeking a king. We're going to get into that in a few moments. And so they came with a purpose. So there's the wise men. There's also Herod. Uh, Herod, we know some things about him through history, uh, that he was referred to as Herod the Great uh, because of the great things he could he did accomplish in uh, ruling his kingdom. But he was also very vicious, as we'll see in our passage as well. And Josephus, the historian, tells us of his um, awful death, um, that God brought about his life to conclusion in a very graphic and um, terrible. His health deteriorated such that uh, the end of his days were awful. You also go on and you see that as Herod's son comes in, and he is a king for a while as well. We know even less of him. As we look in Matthew chapter 2, it, it begins like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We get that marker. Uh, We know the time in the reign of King Herod. uh, These wise men came, and they came searching for a king. They said something. They had a message that they were uh, bringing in verse 2. He says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So these ones came in, and it's hard for us to get this picture. If we were to roll into Tehachapi and we had a purpose, 
And we didn't have any cell phones. We didn't have any internet connection. We had no uh, maps or anything like that. We would go to businesses and people and, and, and people we'd meet and we'd talk with them. And they'd say, oh, you, I can tell you're from out of town. Why are you here? And they said, uh, we're coming looking for the king. You can imagine how this rang in the hearts of the people. They say, oh, we know where the king is. He lives over there. He's Herod. You know, he's been king here for a while. And this is what he's done. You can imagine how that news was brought to Herod. They're looking for the king. And if someone says, knocks on your door, and they're saying, uh, I'd like to speak to the lady of the house or the man of the house, you say, well, you're looking at him. You're looking at her. You know, I, I'm he. And then they say, no, no, not you, the new one. The new one. That's how this news came. And as they came, these wise wise men, this group of them, there probably were more than three. I hate to break it to you, but uh, still a good song, you know. Uh, anyways, uh, but uh, as they came, they probably came as an entourage. And, and, and why are you here? Why have you traveled? And they said, we're looking for the king. We saw his star. You know, probably in, in these... Wise men, they were astrologers and they probably knew all the constellations and they knew they had studied the stars and they found something unique. We don't really know uh, about the star much other than this, that it was something different. It was a cosmic marking that said something amazing has happened. And it's shown to these wise men that they would go and they would search for why the star and they connected it to a king, a new king. As you look to the stars now, uh, some of you may understand the constellations and you look up there and you see something different. And what do you say? Must be a satellite, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting how they would have seen that is so different. And it was a marking that God was doing something different. He had brought a new king. And so they came searching for him. It says that they were searching for him and they had a purpose. Uh, in verse 2, it says, For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. Why did they make the trek? And it's hard for us to imagine, right? It's hard for us to imagine going someplace, not really knowing where you're going. Uh, it not being a short journey, you know, they didn't hop on a plane and they're just going to, Hey, I'm going to shoot in and, uh, meet this new King. And then I'm going to come out, come back. It's not that at all. It was significant both in cost and in time. And they journeyed for a long, and they said, we have come seeking this new King. We have come to worship him. We've come to bow down to him. It strikes me that so often people come to look for Jesus in life today. They would say they'd come to a church like ours or uh, they would even open up the Bible and they'd say, I want to know about this Jesus. I wonder if he can do something for me. I wonder, you know, I'm struggling in my life. You know, I'm struggling. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm struggling in my marriage. Can he help me in my marriage? I'm struggling financially. Maybe he can bless me in some way that I won't be struggling that way. But it seems as though, and obviously we don't know everything about the wise men, but their motivation was they came to worship him. They came to bow down, and we're going to see that they do that later. 
as they find him, that that's that's why they came. They came to worship him. And it's appropriate, too. We're going to see that, that it's appropriate that, that they come and as they search and they seek after Jesus, when they find him, it's appropriate that they would worship him and see him as the king. So that's why they came. You know, they, they sought seeking this new king, knowing because of the mark of the star that this was something different. It says in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. There's reason for that too, right? You know about kings? Kings never, they're never co-kings, right? Hey, we'll both be kings, you know? Uh, when kings play Monopoly, there's always a winner and there's always a loser. They're not both winners, you know? Hey, everyone's a winner. It's not true with kings. Herod was bothered. He was saying, I am the king. Who are they seeking? And, and even, I believe as we go through the passage, that Herod knew. Herod knew that there was a new king and that this wasn't just a man, but that this was from, he was from God. So Herod was troubled. But it also says that all of Jerusalem was troubled too. Why? Well, when you get a new king, you always wonder what he's like. You always wonder, well, is this regime change? Is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing? We know about Herod. We're used to him. But who is this new king? Why haven't I heard about him? And so undoubtedly it was unsettling to the whole city that there was this new king and they were searching after him. As we look in the passage, uh, it says that in verse 4, that Herod, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He's asking questions, you know, where where is this one? And as he refers to Christ, he's saying, Messiah, where is this Messiah to be born? He brings the religious leaders in and he says, I, I, tell me what you know. And what is it that they tell him? They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That was the message, the prophecy that God had spoken many years ago. It's interesting to me, especially after we have gone over uh, talking about the shepherding that happens within the church. What kind of king was this Jesus to be born. What was this Christ? What kind of king was he supposed to be? Shepherd. Isn't that beautifully tender? And what a contrast that must have been as Herod thought of himself as a bit of a tyrant, someone who did what he wanted for himself and was protecting himself. He says, I am the king of Israel, but the king that is to come is to shepherd Israel. It's to lovingly care for them, to watch over them, to look out for their best interest. It's interesting, you could talk about this for a long time when it comes to leaders in our world today, of bosses, of coaches, of whatever. First of all, for us, as we have someone over us, to know if they're a good man or a good woman, are they a shepherd? Do they care? Do they care or do they care about themselves? They just care about themselves. You should be leery of them every move they make. 
And for those of us seeking leadership, so often we read books of how to lead and how to manage and what we should do in this situation or that situation, how to gain to a place of power and prominence. And yet, Jesus, His method was shepherding, was caring. We'll see later in the book of Matthew that this is what He did. This is who He was. And ultimately, in laying down his life for the sheep. So Jesus was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so as Herod inquired about this, he saw this coming together and felt threatened. You know why? Because kings always feel threatened by other kings. They always feel threatened. They knew what was going to happen next. There was always a fight. There was always a jockeying for position. So in verse 7 we see that Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Herod, um, he had some ideas, right? We see a plan forming in his mind. He calls the wise men in privately and secretly and he says, Now, tell me when did you see this star? The star that had marked this new king, uh, you know, he's he's pulling in pieces. He's already heard from the scribes what, when, where Jesus was to be born. Beth, you got Bethlehem, okay, so it's in Bethlehem. And then he says, so when did you see this star? And he's forming a plan not to come and worship, not to come and worship and, and acknowledge that there was a new king and he was from God, but he was forming a plan so that he could attack and wipe out this new king and that he would reign alone uh, over God's people. As you look at the passage, he asks and he he gathers these details. And then in verse 8 it says, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He said the right thing, right? He That's exactly what he should have done. That should have been the heart of Herod. But it wasn't. I, I want to point out something that is beginning to take place, and we'll see it through the rest of this chapter, really throughout the, the New Testament, really throughout the Old Testament in reverse as well. Satan's been on attack uh, from the beginning. And his attack, he's defeated. He, there's no sense in which that he could win. But that his attack involves Jesus Christ and his redemption of people. Souls of men and women like you. And so you look throughout the, uh, the lineage in chapter 1 of the book of Matthew and you say, how can this be? You see different times where they're in exile and, and different people and you say, it's just not going to work out and yet Jesus comes as part of the line of David, the family of Abraham. You say, well, how can that be? Well, it's a plan of God working out. And now we come to chapter 2 and we say, well, how can this be? Uh, you have Herod... Uh, after this little child to wipe him out. How can this be? Well, it's a satanic attack and he's using men. He's stirring them up that they might desire to uh, not allow Jesus to take his rightful place as king and savior. 
And you say, well, how can it be? The plan of God prevails. So Herod uh, seeks to destroy Christ. And he uses the veil of wanting to be a worshiper, which he should have been. Verse, verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. We're here! We're here! We finally found him! They were excited to come and worship. It had had been a long journey, and now they had found the place where Jesus was, the new king, the king from God. And in verse 11, it says this, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. What a picture, right? They'd been on this long journey. They didn't really know other than they were coming for this new king. They were coming to worship. They were excited. They come in. They see Jesus. And what do they do? They worship. They found him and they worship. It's real simple, isn't it? It's a simple response to Christ. What do you need to know about Jesus to worship him? Well, you need to know that he's the king, the one that was to come, the savior that you've been looking for. And so they fall, fell down and worshipped him. It's interesting, too, that it wasn't just with their words or their posture that they worshipped him, and even their heart. It says, then, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They offered him wealth, right? Um So where'd they get this wealth? Well, it seems logical that they brought it from their homes, their country. They had packed all this up and they'd been dragging it around looking as they traveled. And why? Because they desired to show generosity to Christ. Sometimes we get confused on this because we go, oh, well, what happened to that, those gifts? Well, they probably used it for food or, you know, they, they probably lived off it. It was some kind of, they, they used it for the stuff they needed. And sometimes we get confused and go, oh yeah, because Jesus was common, you know, maybe even, uh, was born into poverty. We go, oh yeah, well maybe, you know, Jesus needed it. Maybe Mary and Joseph needed it. Uh, but if you look at Jesus' life, uh, He didn't seem to have a problem finding food. The feeding of the 5,000 when he needed it, he provided a meal. He he made it explode, right? So Jesus didn't need their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. but, But they brought that as an act of worship, of generosity. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know why this is true of us, but it was true of them as well. The riches that we have been entrusted are most of the things that we hold on tightest to, right? We're, we're most of the time when it comes to material things and wealth, we're looking to gather them to ourselves. And then once we've gathered them, we're looking to hold on to them in such a way where no one can get to them. And if we see a need, we kind of go, is it a good need? Is it worthy? 
Okay. Take how much? How much are we talking about here? And we say, what's the least amount I can? Well, you know, I got some leftovers here. Maybe I'll give that. Or you know, maybe maybe I can spare a little bit. Give that. And you get this picture of the wise men bringing of their wealth and just laying it down. Of their valuables, not their leftovers. They brought their valuables. What happens is this, and there's a picture here, an important one, is that the worth of Christ is worth all that we have. There's nothing that we can go to. He's definitely, uh, it's not appropriate to give our leftovers. It's definitely not appropriate to give our leftovers. And it's worth our best, our best. There's not something where we go, oh, you know what, that's, that's giving too much to Jesus. Nothing. And so as the, the wise men came, they gave. They gave generously as part of their worship of Christ. In verse 12 it says, After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. What is clear there is... Uh, they knew who the king was. They knew who the king was. Because you listen to the king, right? You should listen to the king because bad stuff happens when you don't listen to the king. The king told them to go find Jesus and come back. But what did they do? They said, no, we're not doing that. We acknowledge that, that he is the king, this baby, this child. He is the king. And so we no longer listen to Herod. We are in a different country. This is his country. And yet we will not listen to him. Because this is the one that is the king. Well, verse 13 tells us, uh, Now when they departed, uh, the wise wise men, their, their contingent or their entourage, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. I called my son. So they left. So they left. Uh, God had warned them, and you get this picture you, as you, you're thinking through the practical elements. And sometimes we look at this story and we make it too human, we make it too human, and say, "That was a close one. That was a close one." Jesus almost died. He almost got caught by Herod. Boy, it was fortunate that the, the wise men came and they, you know, that they didn't go back that way. It's fortunate, you know. Boy, that, that was a close one. It was not a close one. It was part of the plan of God. And Jesus, there's no way he could have died. Why? Because that wasn't the plan of God, though that was the plan of man. Verse 18 tells us what Herod's doing. Uh, it says, Verse 16, I'm sorry. Then Herod, uh, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region that were two years old and under, 
according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. When you think about that, um, Herod was not wondering whether he should be king or not. He was convinced that he should be king no matter what. In fact, he was willing to do something extremely wicked. Now, now in biblical times, it, they were used to tyrants. You know, they, they were used to injustice going on, maybe even much more than we could ever imagine. And so they were used to Herod doing his things that he did, but this was even more wicked than they can imagine. The knocking on the door and the taking of, of small male boys and the killing of them. And you think, what must have that have done? How desperate must have Herod been that he'd be willing to kill all the little boys two years old? And, and part of his plan, too, you remember, how did he connect it? He said, Wiseman, when did you see that star? Oh, so about two years, maybe give it a few months here and there. Let's grab all the boys at this age so that not even one is wiped out. Well, Jesus isn't there. And it displays the wickedness of Herod, the king. Well, Jesus is not there. He's in Egypt. And another prophecy, uh, another uh, fulfillment in verse 18, it says, the voice, I'm sorry, verse 17, then was fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were, are no more. You see another fulfillment of prophecy that this is going to happen that in a wicked world that Jesus was going to come and be preserved. Verse 19, we see, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Whew, glad that's over. Yeah, the sense of relief. Well, uh, Herod the Great, the one that w- was seeking the child's life, he is now dead. If you want to read about that, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but in Josephus, uh, a biblical historian uh, from that time, he records what happened at the end of Herod's life, and it's awful. It's it, it just it, it's just a, a health. The health of the last part of his life was just atrocious and and burdensome and it wasn't this sweet painful death where he slut, uh he just drifted away but rather his last days were painful most believe that that's the judgment of god that this was not something sweet and it was even a picture to all that the king the king was not the king he was not one that should be followed so we look, and, and Herod is now dead, and we say, oh, great, it's, it, everything's fine now. But if you look at verse um, 22, it says this, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and went and, went and lived in the city of Nazareth, so that what was spoken of the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. 
Once again, prophecy fulfilled, disaster averted. Why? Why is there this satanic attack that wants to get rid of Jesus? And why does it never happen? Apart from next week, we're going to talk about Jesus giving his life and the resurrection that is to follow of conquer. And why? So sometimes we get too human and we say, oh, you know, the, the Romans killed Jesus. You know, that, it was the Romans' fault. No, it was the Jews' fault. The Jews killed Jesus. And when we look at that, the only thing that can truly be said is that Jesus gave his life. Gave his life. It was a part of the plan of God. You say, that sounds so awful, that the plan of God was to kill His own Son. Yes, it is awful. Because it matches the wickedness of our sin. It matches that. That He gave His life that we might be freed from our sin, that we might be covered. Jesus' uh, life was not taken, but it was given. It's given for me and for you. So tying up our chapter 2 here, I want to point out some things and just kind of bring this together. This competition of kings, uh, God heavenly identifies that Jesus was the one through the star. He, he, He says, I want to do something that marks him apart from any other king. I want to tell you that kings come and go, but Jesus was marked by by heaven. The second thing I want to tell you that identifies him in the competition of kings as the king is the prophetic fulfillments. Sometimes we look upon the plan of God and Jesus coming and we go, yeah, you know, it's kind of like we're making this up as we go along. The world got to such a place that it needed a redeemer. And so he came. It's not true. It was all part of the plan of God. We see this from the beginning of the book of Genesis through the prophets, through history pointing to that and drawing up to that Jesus would come. So he was the fulfillment of God's plan that he would come to be the Redeemer. I want to point out to you also that Jesus is the invincible king. The invincible king. Sometimes when we, um, I want to remind you in our day today that so, so often we hear a vicious attacks on the name of Christ and we go, oh no, you shouldn't be saying that about my Lord. You shouldn't. I feel like I have to go and defend the name of Christ. I want to tell you, I want to tell you the plan of Christ and what he is going to do throughout history and the culmination of it. Jesus does not need us to defend him. He's invincible. There, there's, no, there's no way that he can be destroyed. As, as Herod, the great Herod, thought that he could come up on the name of Christ, in the end, he was the one who died. And Jesus was the one who lives forever. There was a king after him, his son, the same thing. And there will be kings that come over and over again. There will be people who say, I am the one that I, you know, we will remove the name of Christ. No, you won't. He's the invincible king. I like to say it this way, that there's a sense of secret service to the name of Christ. 
that he is protected, fully protected, until his, the plan of God comes to fruition. Fourth thing I want to tell you is this, is that he is the king, the king, all caps. There is no other. And you say, well, yeah, there is. There was Herod the king. There were other kings. There have been kings. There will be kings. There's people in authority and power. There, there are other kings. Yes, there are. But there's only one that is the king. The king. Jesus was the one. There's no other one that had a star marking him. There's no other one that had prophecy fulfilled in him. He is and was the king. And lastly, I want to tell you this. That uh, as the wise men did, and as Herod should have, Jesus is and was worthy of worship. It's appropriate. It's really the only response that works. When you find the king, uh, it's not time to check him out. It's not time to ask him, what, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? I'll decide whether you know we're going to have a relationship based on what you can do for me. It's time to worship. It's time to give. And not in a small way, but all that we are. It's time to worship the king. Well, how about us? Where do we stand? What is your relationship with Christ? Is it one where you're just checking him out? That won't do. That will not do. Is it one where you're saying, ah, I'm going to decide if you're going to be king or not? No, that doesn't do either. He is the king, whether you acknowledge it or not. Are you looking to wipe him out and so that you can be on the throne? That won't work either. Herod tried that one. This morning, I just want to conclude by saying this. This king, the king, is meant to be acknowledged in everything, served with your life, and joyfully worshipped. That's why he came. Because he was and is the king. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, our moments that we were allowed to consider that Jesus came and he was worshipped as the king because he, he is. And God, we struggle. Uh, we struggle with wanting our own prominence and chasing after various idols. Lord, I pray, I pray now for the older folks of our church. I pray for them to not see anything worthy in these last years of their lives other than Jesus Christ, the King. And that they would use these days to point others to Him. God, I think of our empty nesters here that have just gotten done raising kids and wondering what life is all about. It's easy to chase after things that would somehow fill their lives and, uh, and things that seem to bring happiness and enjoyment apart from Jesus. God, I pray for them, Lord, that they would see clearly the, that Jesus is the King, worthy of every day, worthy to be served. God, I think of my peers who are raising kids. God, we struggle wanting for our kids and chasing our tail around to provide and to, to give things and filling our schedules. 
And yet so often forgetting the king. God, I pray for us, Lord, that that you would help us to see clearly that Jesus is to be worshipped with every day in our homes, at our jobs, as we're out and about, as our kids are being educated in our church. He's meant to be the king over all. God, I think of those who are younger, who are not married yet or just married or just beginning a family to have kids and wanting to do it right, wanting to do it different. God, I pray that they would acknowledge now that Jesus is the king of their home, that their hearts would be given over to him, that they would experience the the peace that comes from building their family and their life on Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the grace that's found in the gospel, that the mistakes that we have made, the sins that we have committed, and the pain that we have caused can be all covered because of what Jesus did. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the grace that's found in him, and it's in his name we pray.